Hey there, thank you for joining us again on another journey into Genesis. I've already lost track. If this is two, three, four, I think we're on three, four. See, uh, Brad's showing four, so uh, he knows better than I do. We're on four. I'm just going to start saying the next Genesis podcast because I lose track so easily. Anyway, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this is not about us. All right, so I can't wait for this one. Uh, I really hope this one grabs you the way it grabbed me. In all honesty, leading up to this has been really wonderful because uh, as I've been doing this, things have been jumping out at me that I didn't realize were there until I started re-digging into this and pulling up things that, that have amazed me. But we're getting into a point now where I was hoping we'd reach early on. So I'm hoping... It affects you the same way it affects me. Uh, but before we get into this, Brad, uh, I'd like you to uh, let Yahweh have his place in this and let him, give him the place to speak his heart. Yahweh, almighty God. First, let me just say thank you. I have been watching Scott get ready for this, and he's excited, and you're the reason why. Your story, your creation, and it was all for us. We give you love. We give you honor. We give you glory. But you will always have so much more to give. And for that, we are so appreciative. Yahweh God, for this, another study of Genesis. Will you be with us now as the honored guest? Will you take the lead so Scott and I can fade to the background and this will be all about you amen amen thank you so much for that all right we last time we ended at genesis 1 24 through 25 just to recap and elohim said let the earth bring forth the living creature after its kind cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after its kind and it was so And Elohim made the beast of the earth after its kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after its kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. So that's where we ended. We're about to get to the creation of man. But before that, before we start that, I want to get into some numbers here. And I want to apologize a little bit because during our entire last podcast, and right now, we've got a cat that's sitting up in my face going, I demand to be petted right now, and I'm trying to (laughs) appease him and give this podcast at the same time. Stabler, you want to say hi? No? All right. He's just enjoying the head rubbing right now. So here we go. Uh, I want to get into numbers a little bit and what numbers mean, because they also tell another fascinating story. Now, when I mentioned uh, the very first general Bible study, we talked about how Hebraic numbers are going to come into play too. Hebraic letters also mean numbers. You said you want to get into numbers? I thought this was a Genesis study. Oh, shush. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, But I just want to say right now, we're going to get into numbers themselves, what they mean. We're not going to get into the Hebrew letters as numbers, not quite yet. 
but numbers, what they stand for, what they represent. Uh, first of all, the number one uh, represents unity. It represents new beginnings, oneness of purpose. Now, the Hebrew letter that, rep- that stands for the number one is Aleph, and it's represented by a steer head, and it is the number for the eternal God. Because it's only divisible by itself, it's independent of any other numerals, and yet it composes them all. So it's uh, important to understand what these numbers mean, so I'm going to run through them briefly. Number two, the the number two, uh, stands for union. It also stands for division. Because we have two things, either coming together or being separated. It also stands for witnessing and confirmation. As the Bible says, by the mouths of two witnesses is a, is a thing established. Now, it is represented by the Hebrew letter Beth, uh, which also means house and also represents duality in and of itself. Number three, the number three, we've mentioned this before. It is considered one of the perfect numbers. It stands for divine completeness and perfection, and it also represents the Trinity. Uh, divine completeness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the completeness of God. And we've mentioned some other examples before. Depth, width, height, the completeness of volume, past, present, future, the completeness of time. So three is considered a divinely complete number. Now, just real briefly, I'm not going to get into the other ones, but I will say it's considered one of the perfect numbers. The perfect numbers are considered three, seven, 10, and 12 for different reasons, but I'm not going to get into those yet. Only three uh, is going to be included in the numbers I talk about today. But just in case anyone was curious, what are the perfect numbers? Well, that's what they're considered to be. Now, the number three is represented by the Hebrew letter Gimel. Oh, again, hope I'm pronouncing these correctly. It is represented by the picture of a camel. And it represents important ideas and divine purpose. The number four represents God's creation. It represents the world as well as the universe and all of his creative works. It is represented by the Hebrew letter Daleth, which is in turn represented by a door. Number five, the number five stands for grace and God's goodness. Uh, It also represents the Pentateuch. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it's a fancy way of saying the first five books of the Bible, which Numbers is a part of. Brad, thank you very much. Anytime. (laughs) But uh, it also can represent separation and judgment. It is represented by the Hebrew letter He, uh, which is represented by a window and can stand for eternity or the other side. And now the number six... Number six represents the weakness of man or the manifestation of sin. It also represents the evils of Satan, the beast, and the flesh. Now, the number six, this is why Satan's number is 666. Because Satan is spiritually, mentally, and physically as perfect as you can get short of God. So six is basically, it's man's number, as well as Satan's number, because it does represent the highest level of perfection you can achieve with God not being present. Now, the number six is represented by the Hebrew letter Vav, uh, which is uh, uh, represented by a hook, 
and it can mean to connect. Now, let's get into some of these numbers and how we've already seen them in Genesis so far. And one of them is just in the days themselves. So the very first day, in fact, the very first thing we see in the Bible, in the beginning, the very first words, number one is a number representing new beginnings. The very first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Well, the number one represents God. As it is, as we said before, it represents perfect unity, oneness of purpose, only divisible by itself, independent of any other numeral, yet composes them all. So the very first day in the Bible itself, day one, testifies of a perfect God starting something new. Now within that first day, we see several other numbers, several other things in play. God creates the heaven and the earth, two things. Now two can stand for union or division, and what we see here is in the beginning, they're unified. We see union, heaven and earth, uh, the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of man are meant to be together. They are separated, they are divided, they become divided due to sin, but as we see, the plan of salvation has always, always, from the very beginning, Breshit, has always been to reunify them. Two also stands for witnessing and confirmation. The heaven and the earth both stand as witnesses, confirming God's glory and power. And Brad, you're nodding. Is that... This is yeah. just agreeing with, I'm just agreeing with that. Uh, you kind of mentioned it in the last study too, that you know, the, even the sky gives testimony uh, to God. Absolutely, yes. Another thing we see in this first day is God, one, one God, hovered over the face of the waters. And waters, if you remember, is a dual word treated as a singular word. So we have two in one here, God, unity, hovering over the face of the divided waters, seeking to repair them back to one, back to a perfect union. We have a picture right there in the numbers that a single God trying to bring divided waters back into one. Let there be light. We, we mentioned that there's a word picture in there that light uh, can represent father and son, two in one, unity and union together, a dual witness of oneness of purpose. God divides the light from the darkness to number of division. And here he is dividing two things, one thing separated from another. Evening and morning equal one day. We see this over and over every single day up through day six. The time of daylight, the time of darkness coming together unifying to make one day. A day itself testifies of God's desire to unify us with him. He wants the light of God and the darkness we live in to come together and make one. He wants one day connected again. He wants us to come back to him. Second day. In the second day, we see the firmament divides the waters above from the waters below. And we've mentioned before, water can symbolize humanity. Water can also symbolize Jesus, the word. These are divided from each other. The second day testifies of the division 
created by sin that keeps us apart. The third day, God brings forth grass, seed, and fruit. Three things. He begins decorating his his world with life and the ability to bring forth more life. Three is a number of divine completeness and divine purpose. It is one of those numbers that we mentioned before considered to represent perfection. The third day testifies of the perfection of God's setup. He is building a perfect house for his bride. And that is something I want you to remember. We're going to get right back into that in a minute. The fourth day, God puts lights up in the firmament of heaven. He puts the very stars in place. Well, four is a number that represents universal. So here he is working on the universe. The lights were for signs, seasons, days, and years. Four things. Four things for the world to keep track of God's plan and his timing. Four represents creation, the world, his creative works, the entire universe. The fourth day testifies of God's creative works in his universe, testifying of his plan to his world and his creation. Within the fourth day, we have two great lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night, representing Jesus and man reflecting Jesus into the darkness. Again, we have two unifying union of Jesus and mankind that are both testifying and witnessing of the Father's greatness. In the fifth day, one of the things that number five represents is grace and God's goodness. Grace defined is God's unmerited favor, undeserved. It's just his gift to us that we don't, we haven't earned. This is the first day where something receives a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply is mentioned here for the first time ever in the fifth day. But the number five can also represent separation. There's also a separation here. God creates two types of creatures. The creatures living beneath and the creatures living above. Those in the water and those in the sky. And both, as we discussed in the word pictures, testify of his work and his life. So we have a number two in here, both testifying. We have a division representing number two. But in the fifth day, we see God's grace. The fifth day testifies of God's grace and goodness, his unmerited favor to us. Again, he's decorating his house. He's preparing his house for his bride. We're gonna see, we see that again. In the sixth day, we just got to the sixth day. We're not finished with the sixth day yet, but I want to mention this because we're in the sixth day. It's man's number and Satan's number. It represents the manifestations of sin and the evils of Satan, the beast and the flesh. We're not quite to all that yet. I just want to mention it because we're in the sixth day. But this is the day where man is created and six is man's number. So that is important. But I'm not going to go on with any of the rest of it because we don't know. We haven't got to that part yet. We're not talking about man and Satan and all that yet. So we're going to leave the rest of that alone for now. But there is something else in here. In the sixth day that we've already discussed, there are three types of land creatures. Again, signifying a completeness. God created all the animals right here. There was nothing else. There was nothing left undone. There was nothing that gets created millennia later. Combine that with two types of creatures created the day before. 
water and air creatures, testifying of God's work and life making five types of creatures, signifying God's grace for all of us. These are gifts that were given to us who are unworthy. In fact, at this time, man's not even created yet. How could he have earned anything? Go ahead. I haven't interrupted you much. (laughs) This has been a lot of fun for me right now. You are very, uh, very excited, very passionate right now. I'm very much enjoying this. Um, But no, that's, that's a beautiful point. All of these, God does give us so many free gifts, and we don't deserve one of them, nothing. Um, no, and, and you're you're right. How how can we deserve anything? We're not even here yet. Um, exactly. Yes, this is a great picture of that. How how could we deserve anything we haven't even existed for yet? Right. But again, now I'm going to wrap it up. He's building a house for his bride. Brad, do you know about the Jewish ceremony, uh, uh, marriage, uh, the the whole not the ceremony, but the whole tradition marriage tradition very little very little okay so i'm not going to get into the entire thing right now that that's a it's a good study for any of you want to look that up i'm not going to do it now but if you're like well now i'm curious a lot of people have gone over it please feel free look it up google it do do what you got to do but in a nutshell the man would say i want to make this uh this young lady my wife and once she agreed they were considered married. Once the agreement to be married uh, was made, they were considered married. If at that point there's no ceremony, there's no, uh, there, there's no, well, there's no sex yet. There's no being together. There, there's no joining in any way. All they did was agree. But at this point, if either one of them goes up and sleeps with someone else, it's considered adultery. It's considered cheating on their spouse, which is very different. To us, this is just the leaning, bending down on one knee, ha- uh, ha- showing the ring and saying, will you be uh, my bride? And the woman saying, yes, yes, I will. At that moment, at that moment they're engaged. This is why uh, in, in the Gospels, between the various versions and even between some chapters uh, in different versions, you will see Joseph and Mary being treated as sometimes it mentions they're engaged, sometimes it talks about how they're married. This is why, because this is the stage that they were in. She had said yes, and to the Hebrew mind, she was his bride. However, there, there's more to the ceremony, there's more to the process that they had not achieved yet, which was they had not had a ceremony. But one of the things was, when she said yes, the man left. And he went and he prepared a place for her. And he went and he built her a house. Awesome. And this is what's going on here. <laughs> God is building a house for his bride. The entirety of creation is he's building a house for his bride, a perfect house. How special is that? Before you're even here, he's building you your house. Oh, thank you, God. Again, a physical picture for a spiritual reality. This is why Jesus told the disciples as he was leaving, he says, it's, it's best that I go away from you. I'm going to go prepare a house for you. I go to prepare a place for you. We, we need to understand the physical aspects, and Stabler is agreeing with me. He's jumping in on the mic. He's, he's, he's rubbing all of you listeners. 
Don't you feel his love? <laughs> but he's building a house for his bride. How awesome is that? And then there's so much more to that story. I can't get into it right now because of time. But then he comes back. And there's a huge celebration as he comes back and people run before him and announce his arrival. And when, his, when the bride hears that he's coming back, she prepares and she goes out to meet him. It's an amazing story, which again, testifies more of God's plan and God's truths. But I'm not going to get into the rest of it now. I just wanted you to see right here in Genesis, he's building a house for his bride. Let's go on in Genesis now which I'm just realizing I misspelled on my sheet. I didn't even spell Genesis correctly. Again, testifying that I'm not God, he is. I screw things up. But Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And Elohim said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread it. And this time I'm going to emphasize certain words so you can catch what's something incredible that's going on here. And Elohim said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image, after our, plural, likeness, and let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And Elohim created man in his singular own image. In the image of Elohim created he, singular, him, singular, Male and female created he, singular, them, plural. Grammatically, this makes no sense. This is a messed up sentence grammatically without the understanding of a triune three-in-one God. God is three-in-one. He is us. He is them at the same time. And he made man in that image. I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis. If you want to jump in, Brad, go ahead at any time. I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis 5, 1 and 2 and show you that the same thing is happening here. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that Elohim created man, and I didn't stop on man because that word can mean singular, uh, an individual, or it can mean mankind, all of us at the same time. In the likeness of Elohim made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Again, we have this plural and singular being interwoven and used simultaneously and interchangeably. Now, to fully comprehend this, there's, there's this, I have to go off on a side note. I have to go off track here. There's something else we need to discuss that has vital importance to correctly understanding the creation of man, and that is the Ruach HaKodesh, which we translate into English as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And as soon as I said that, Brad smiled. 
So anything you want to jump in with this right now before we go on? Nope, I just know where you're going. All right. So I'm going to read to you right now from the introduction of the Hebraic Roots version to help you understand something important. Quote, And while there are no true adjectives in Hebrew, nouns are used as adjectives, noun modifiers must agree in gender with the noun. Now the Hebrew word ruach is grammatically feminine, as is the phrase ruach ha-kodesh. This is matched by the role of the Ruach HaKodesh as comforter, for example, John 14, 16, and the identification of the comforter with Yahweh acting as a mother. See Isaiah 66, 13. Now, in English, the Ruach is often referred to as he or it, as also in the Greek New Testament. However, This seems very odd indeed to the Semitic mind. Now it is very clear that the gender of Ruach has been revised in many passages of the Aramaic to agree with the Hellenistic concept of the Holy Spirit as being either a he or an it. In fact, the Peshitta Aramaic of Romans 8.16 opens with, quote, and she the Ruach gives testimony, unquote. So why am I pointing this out? Because we tend to think of God as masculine due to the other two parts of Yahweh being portrayed as father and son and the incorrect portrayal of the Holy Spirit as a he. But we need to understand that God has no literal gender the way we think of it. Let me say again, as I've always, as I'm gonna repeat this in every podcast, God gave us physically easy to understand examples of spiritual truths. In the gender differences of mankind, we see different elements of the Godhood. Ruach HaKodesh is listed as feminine, and God the Father and God the Son are listed as masculine, not because they are in the way we think of physical male and female, but because Male and female elements to us here on earth represent spiritual truths of God. And we need to understand that. Something I want you to notice here is that the fullness of the Godhood, the Trinity, Father, Son, and the feminine Holy Spirit was what God made in his image when he created Adam. Adam and Eve truly were created together. They were both in the original Adam. Elohim blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Eve was not created days, weeks, months later, whatever the timing is when we see that he takes a a rib from Adam and makes woman. She is not a new creation She was created the day Adam was created. She was Adam. Adam the male was Adam. Adam the female was Adam. They were Adam. The fullness of the Godhood made man in its likeness. And man, that first singular being, contained all of the image of God in it. 
Now we're going to get into this more in depth as we go on into Genesis and we see the creation of woman and we see the word pictures and everything that this represents. But we need to understand right now, Adam and Eve were one being, not in a schizophrenic way, not like Adam was talking and then he snapped out of it and became Eve and then snapped his head and started talking as Adam again, but in the sense that both in both Adam and Eve together, we see the fullness of God and not only in the male side. Eve was the woman side of Adam separated later, but it already existed within him. Eve is not a separate creation. She is not subservient to or less than the male in God's eyes. And as I said, we're going to get into more of this as we go on. But if this is important to grasp, people, I, I've seen so many times in Christian circles where, where uh, a woman is just a wife of somebody's is in dire straits and she's complaining because she says that uh, we're in trouble we're about to go bankrupt. He's messing everything up, but I cannot contradict him because he's the man and I must do what he says. And I am I am second-class citizen in God's eyes and man is superior to me. Guys, this is not Christian. We don't understand what's going on. We need to grasp this. The female is just as much God as the male. They were both created together in the fullness of God. And God merely separated those two at a later event for the purpose of showing us that he wants them to be unified as one. Physical example of a spiritual reality. We, the female, in this relationship, mankind, is represented by the female in this relationship. We are his bride, and he wants us back. He wants us to be one. That's what this is supposed to show us. Not that the female is a second-class citizen and not as spiritual as the male. All right. Got anything to throw in before I move on, Brad? I have something about this that I'm going to make a note and I'm going to bring up when we get to the, uh, the temptation coming up soon. All right. I'll look forward to that. So that's what's called uh, a tease in the industry, I believe. But now I want to get to this word man. God creates man. The man is mentioned twice here. And Elohim said, let us make man in our image. And Elohim created man in his own image. Brad, do you have any idea what the word man, how it's pronounced in Hebrew? Do you know what this is? The word man in Hebrew? Yeah. Is it just not Adam or is it? It is. Okay. It's Adam. Adam. That floored me when I first heard it. The word man in Hebrew is Adam, which is why he named him Adam. He's literally naming him man. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, something I will point out here, um, it's Adam in English. In the Hebrew, it's actually pronounced differently. I didn't know this. It's Adam. Like uh, phonetically, it'd be A-W, like aw. Uh, and then the, the, it'd be like D-A-W-M, Dom, uh, Adam. It's not Adam, the way we say it in English. But the definition of this is a human being, individually or the species, as in mankind. Now, it can also mean a common sort, a person of low degree. 
Now, doesn't this, isn't this a good way of pointing out the frailties in the comparison of man to God so well? <laughs> that the very word means a person of low degree, a common individual. But this is something that really caught me. Something else that it means. The very word Adam means hypocrite. Oh. The very word man means hypocrite. And after recording this, I'm sorry, not recording this. Uh, I'm recording it now. After reviewing this, after studying this and, and realizing that, I was listening to the David Crowder song, My Victory. And the very first words of that song say, you came for criminals and every Pharisee. You came for hypocrites, even one like me. And I just became very emotional listening to that because it made that song so much more powerful to me. And I realized, I don't know if David Crowder understood it when he wrote those lyrics, but I realized in that song, whether he knew it or not, in saying that Jesus came for hypocrites, he was literally saying, Jesus came for all mankind. This is hitting me a little hard too. I, with this uh, podcast, I have also been kind of reviewing what I do. And I've been praying to God frequently <laughs> lately. This is, this is one of those things that reassures me that we're on to something, we're on the right track. I have been praying frequently, God, don't make me a hypocrite. Don't make me say something in a podcast and then not live that in my life outside of the podcast. Don't make me a hypocrite. That's just, that's just those reassurance that we're on to something, Scott. Thank you for sharing that because, yeah, I, I think about it too and I think of the words of Paul when he said, if I, if I preach this but I don't live it, I'm condemning myself. Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, if you've listened to my second Revelation uh, podcast, I talked about what I believe uh, as far as coincidence. And I don't think of coincidences. I call them God winks because I don't think there are coincidences anymore. So that right there was a small God wink. And I do that a lot. I say small God wink, or I say small this or small that. But these could actually be huge things that I just haven't seen the full meaning yeah. behind it yet. But anyway, I'm sorry, Scott. Continue. No, no, I, I love it when you jump in and do that. Um, also, now something else I want to point out. Adam is Strong's Concordance number 120, in case I didn't mention that earlier. I don't think I did. But... Adam, Adam, 120, is taken from Adam, 119, spelled the same way, pronounced a little differently, which means to show blood. Now, Leviticus 17, 11, the first part of it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. So since Adam can also mean to show blood, man also means to reveal that which holds life. So man is intended to show Jesus Christ to the world. I just thought all of that was amazing. That, that, is, that is just very powerful for me. Now, I'm going to end this right now. So I think this one's been pretty brief. Uh, I, I haven't been keeping track of time, but uh, I'm going to end this here with, we're going to get into... Oh, wait, no. I forgot the word picture for Adam. 
The word picture for Adam, this is another powerful thing. Let, let me do this real quick. The word picture for Adam, Aleph, Dalet, and Mem. And one of the interpretations of this, again, I always say possible interpretations because there's so many. I don't want to limit it to this and only this. But the very word Adam, a word picture is God provides the pathway through the water. I just thought that was so amazing. Uh, just in the very name Adam, there's, there's a, uh, another picture of, of baptism, which in and of itself is a picture of the spiritual reality of God provided the pathway, Jesus, through the water. He literally got the Israelites through the water at the Red Sea crossing as yes, well. Yes, I mean, which was another picture of baptism. And we're going to get in, I'm going to get into that in another teaching here for me just uh, in another minute. As soon as we end this, I'm going to record another one for don't you. I don't secrets. know when it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know when you'll listen to it, but it's it's another another teaching on what it means to be uh, a Jew versus a Gentile uh, versus a Christian. But we're going to talk about that in there too, but I, this is so amazing. God provided the pathway through the water. Uh, I love that. Now, I'm going to end with the words for male and female. Uh, and this one I'm going to do it a little differently than I normally do it. I'm not going to complete these. I'm just going to kind of throw some things out there and let you kind of ruminate on them. Well, first of all, so he created male and female created he them. So I wanted to know, okay, what, what can I see in these words, male and female? Male is Strong's Concordance number 2145, and it's the word Zakar. Female is Strong's Concordance number 5347, and it's the word Nekeba. I have no idea where the inflection comes on these. I have no idea which syllable gets prominence. It could be Nekeba, it could be Nekeba. I, I have no idea. So again, I'm probably mispronouncing them. I apologize to those of you who speak fluent Hebrew and think I'm slaughtering your language. I'm so sorry. But male, uh, it can obviously mean male, uh, zakar. It can mean a man-child, and it stands for him. But one of the things it can mean is remembered. Now, the noun, zakar, comes from verb 2142 in Strong's Concordance, uh, zakar. Now, they are a little different. You can't probably hear it in the way I'm speaking because they're so similar, but think of it this way. The first word, meaning male, zakar. Think of that last syllable as being spelled phonetically K-A-W-R. Now, 2142, zakar, think of the last syllable as being spelled phonetically K-A-R. It's so hard for me to pronounce that differently so you can hear it, so I just throw it out there. But that means to mark so as to be recognized, to remember, by implication to mention, recount, record, or call to. Now the female, nakeba, it literally means female. The definition, that's all they said, female. But they do mention that it comes from the word 5344 nakab, meaning to puncture, literally to perforate with more or less violence, or figuratively to specify, to designate, or to libel. It means blaspheme. It means curse. It means pierce. It means strike through. 
And when you remember that male and female are physical examples of spiritual truths and that the male side represents God and the female side represents man, it adds more emphasis to that definition. We blasphemed, we cursed, we struck God through. But I'm going to leave you with this. The word picture for male is Zion, Kof, and Resh. Zion means, can stand for plow, weapon, cut off. Kof, palm of hand, to open. Resh, read, person, first. And in female, the letters are Nun, Kof, Bet, and Hay. And Nun is represented by seed, fish, activity, life, Kof, is represented by sun on the horizon, which means morning or evening, either one, going, coming up or going down. It also means behind. Bet means house or in, and hey means low, behold, or the. And at first, I came up with possible interpretations of these, but quite frankly, I kept coming up with so many. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to come up with an interpretation this time. I'm going to throw that out there. And just let your imagination go because I kept seeing just male and female, so many different things in this. I just thought that this one would be better to just let it go and let you come up with your own uh, because there's just so much in these pictures that I, I don't, I don't want to even limit to something that jumped out at me because I kept finding so many. So I'm just going to let that one go. I've recently figured out how to get comments on the website for our podcast, and uh, I don't know about Scott, but I think I'd be kind of interested to see what people, what word pictures they come up with if they want to share them there. Absolutely. But we're going to end this one here. Uh, so we didn't get very far, and yet we got extremely far. Uh, I was really excited to get here, and I hope that excitement has been justified. I hope you found this the creation of man and the, all the pictures that go along with it, just as cool and exciting as I have. So as always, this has been Scott. This has been Brad. And this has been Not About Us.